What leader made the most successful New Year's resolution in history? That's interesting. And when did New Year's resolutions begin? Answers to those and other questions as we head into a new year here on The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. That's kind of what a New Year's Day does for you, doesn't it, Marsha? Yeah, yeah, it does. Do you make New Year's resolutions, Marsha? Not anymore, no. You used to do it. Yes. And why did you stop doing it? Why do you think? Uh, Because you (laughs) failed. You failed, Marcia. Yes. Or I was so successful, it didn't matter anymore. Oh, well, I never thought of that. And they do tend to get redundant. So moving on. Well, you know how many people do resolutions every year? How many people do you think make New Year's resolutions? Uh, I'd say uh, of the world population, 68.9. No, it's just generally around half the people. Of At the least world? in the United States, it's, oh. it's about 45% of Americans. But overall, 38.5% of adults seem to set New Year's resolutions yearly based on studies conducted over the past five years. Okay. How many of them are successful with their resolutions, Marcia? Oh, uh, of that... Uh, of that 38 to 45%. Uh, 20%. 10%. 10%. If only it was that good. <laughs> 5%? Really? <laughs> 8%. Oh, dear. Only about 8% of people are successful in achieving their goals. I've got some thoughts on how to do it right based on some research, and we'll get to that in a moment. But first, Marcia, <laughs> your question was, when did New Year's resolutions begin? Yes, Bob. When did they begin? Well... I imagine it goes back to old times, the old days before the landline, <laughs> before the before internet. The la- there was a, such an ancient time as before the landline? Before, yes, there was. Before the telegraph, before the landline, before all the technology we have today. Yeah. I would imagine it goes back 3,000 years at least. Oh, well, that's good. It's 4,000. 4,000 years. 4,000. And uh, when the Babylonians, remember them, mm-hmm. celebrated a 12-day festival called Akatu at the start of the new agrarian year. Okay, so it dealt with the uh, planting year. Agrarian year, yes. Uh-huh. During the festival, they would make resolutions to their gods during the vernal equinox. Okay. That was the start of the farming season to plant crops, crown their king, and make promises to return borrowed farm equipment and pay their debts. Return borrowed farm equipment. That's hilarious. And pay their debts. So that was their resolutions every year. Apparently they had the same ones. So that came from the Babylonian times. So we're talking about what is now Iraq, but 4,000 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Do we have stuff in the garage, our neighbors, the shovels or rakes or something? (laughs) Do we owe them any shekels, Marcia? (laughs) All right. Well, what leader in history made what is arguably the most successful New Year's resolution? I would say it's got to be some head of some country that vowed to end the war, some war that year. Well, it goes back a long ways. You want a hint? Yeah. Let's try 46 B.C. (laughs) (laughs) Nero, was he fiddling? Did he talk about getting new? Wasn't during Nero's time, no. Okay, now what? Julius Caesar. Yeah. Now, here's why he was so successful. I mean... (laughs) In 46 BC, he had a New Year's resolution that was four changes that have lasted a lifetime, for all time, 
to our time. Do you have any idea what they were? Something about the calendar, maybe? That's, yes, that was one thing. Um, they were all about the calendar, actually. Yeah, time, calendars, uh, months, number of wives ding, you ding, could ding, have. Ding. Well, no, no, wait. <laughs> Sorry. That's, no, that's you're thinking of some other oh, group, okay. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, tell me. Okay, well, unlike our problems today, Personal his things. problem wasn't that he ate too much or that he exercised too little or that he spent too much time on social media. It wasn't any of those things. His problem was the Roman calendar. That was a 355-day calendar, and it was a combination. 355 days, a combination of lunar and ancient calendars, and it was a mess. The priests of Rome had to manipulate the calendar continually to adjust the dates to match the natural seasons, and by the time he came to power, the harvest fest no longer fell during the harvest times. <laughs> Things were really screwed <laughs> they, up. They were screwed up. So in the year 46 BC, Julius Caesar did something unprecedented. He declared a year of transition, the longest year in history. How long was the longest year in history? I'll say 375 days. No, longer than that. 85, 385, he, 400. He lengthened the year 46 BC to make it 455 days. Long enough to realign the calendar with the sun. He wanted to make the following year begin at the right time after the winter solstice. You can only do these things if you're a dictator. (laughs) No kidding. But he had some good guys around him that told him, this is what's wrong and this is how we can fix it. So he looked like a genius. That's exactly right. He used the best astronomy and mathematics. Well, he believed it. That's what made him good leader then. And he tinkered with the calendar to make it the solar year. It followed the sun, not the phases of the moon. 365 days plus a few hours. And guess what? He divided the calendar into 12 months. So it was his regime that made that change too. Months whose Roman names we still use. And he also invented the leap year. They knew that the calendar wouldn't be perfect, so they added an extra day to the calendar every four years to prevent it from falling out of alignment. What is the fourth and actually most important thing he invented regarding New Year's? Um, geez, Louise. He invented a day. That didn't exist before? He invented uh. January 1st as New Year's Day. Okay. D- deciding that was the turn of the new year. And those are four major accomplishments. You could also say we can credit Julius Caesar with making it the day of New Year's resolutions. Why? And it had to do with the name. January? January. Janus. Janus. Was. A. You know. Roman. God. Yes, very good. I like this. <laughs> We're doing our own version of what's that game we used to play with the kids? You fill out a sentence yeah. uh, and the spaces. Oh, Ad Lib. Mad Libs, funny. Because he named the first month January after the Roman god, Janus had two faces, one that looked forward, one that looked backwards. So Romans believed that Janus symbolically looked backwards into the previous year, forward into the new year, so they began offering sacrifices and resolving to conduct themselves better on January 1st. And that's how the, the real celebrations that relate to the January 1st day began. All began. All that's began. been going on for well over 2,000 years ago. So 4,000 years ago was New Year's resolutions, yeah. but they began being done on January 1st more than 2,000 years ago. Okay. So that's why you can credit Julius Caesar as the leader with the most successful New Year's resolutions in history. Okay, thank you, Bob. Next question. What is the world's number one TV series? The world's number one TV series today. More people watch this. It's actually over, but it's a series that people have watched. Oh, it's just been completed then. Uh, Well, it is complete, I believe. It is complete. Okay. But it's, what is the number one 
TV series in the world. From the United States? Yes. Um, we never yeah. watched it. Okay, what is it? Game of Thrones. Oh, yes, of it's course. A, it's a story about nine noble families fight for control over the lands of Westeros while an ancient enemy returns after being dormant for a millennia. And we never got into that, but it's sure. Well, it's pretty violent, but yeah, yes, I hear it's compelling. Yeah, yeah, it's a interesting. Interesting, written by a gentleman named Martin who was a uh, former professor at the University of Dubuque or Clark College really? when you and I were working there. No kidding. Yeah, so he's doing that and making billions, and you and I are here. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we got our podcast. That's right. For the library. He doesn't have a podcast for the Cedarburg <laughs> Public <right>. Library. <laughs> That's very funny. Back to Julius Caesar, one more thing about that. Julius Caesar doing all this stuff, changing things. And a political enemy, Cicero, joked, this man now wished to control the very stars which rose according to his new calendar as if by edict. Yeah, imagine everybody being so ticked off. What's wrong with this guy? Now he's trying to dictate the calendar of our lives. Come on, when the sun rises and sets. (laughs) But it was the right thing to do. Why, Bob? Why are the southern states called Dixieland? Why are the southern United States called Dixieland? Because they are south of the Mason-Dixon line. What's the first sentence I have here? It's not because of the Mason-Dixon line. But it's not because of the Mason-Dixon line. (laughs) Okay, tell me the answer. (laughs) And that line is the boundary between the free states and the slave states, Uh the territory south of Jeremiah Dixon's boundary line. But according to Big Book of Answers, it comes from the word Dixie, which was what Southerners called a French $10 banknote. Oh, that's right. I've heard about that. D-I-X means 10 in French. Oh, okay. So a Dixie is a $10 bill. And in New Orleans, they used the Dixies, and it was already in use in 1859 when Daniel Emmett, a Northern man, introduced his song, Dixie, with the South's nickname, and somehow it became a battle song for the Confederacy. He was a white man who had entertainers, and they did blackface minstrel shows and sang, and he wrote that song. But he wasn't a black man. He was a white man. That's right. And he wasn't from the South. He was from Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Okay. So you knew a lot about him, but you didn't know that. I just forgot about that aspect of it. All right. We were talking about resolutions that failed, 88%. This is from a University of Bristol study of 3,000 people. One thing they say was that small measurable goals lead to greater success. So instead of saying, I'm going to lose weight, you say, I'm going to lose a pound a week, or I'm going to lose a pound the first two weeks. Right. Or or in my case, I'm going to get up in the morning, God God willing. (laughs) (laughs) That's your resolution? Yeah. Oh, my God. Got a good chance. So uh, are you in the uh, percentage of people who resolve not to do anything? Correct. Well, I still do. I bet you do. What, what and was And I your... still fail. <laughs> you know, about a year ago, I had a real long list, about five things. That's that, my guy. The longer the list, the worse. I think I got one of those things started. Uh-huh. So this year, my resolution is to read entire books instead of skipping through them, which I tend to do. Mm. I think that social media and the internet has ruined my attention. So I need to start with one book and make sure I read it all the way through before I open another one, because I usually have like five of them going at any given time. At least they're in the Smithsonian Institute in your bathroom. Okay. (laughs) All right, let me ask you this question. So I do have statistics on how many people do set resolutions. 38.5% of all U.S. adults do have a New Year's resolution. 52.6% focus on one resolution, 
47.4% do multiple resolutions. So most people do one resolution. That's probably why it's better. But age predicts whether you're going to actually do them or not. Young adults do resolutions more often than older people. 59% of young adults, 18 to 34, have resolutions. And you know why that is. Because they haven't lived long enough to know it doesn't work. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) People over 55 are three times less likely to have resolutions compared to younger people. But 54% of parents do make New Year's resolutions. If you're a parent, especially of young children, you're more likely to do a resolution. Okay. Okay, Bob. A person who is extremely distraught is often said to be beside himself. Yes. Where does that phrase come from? Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. I I just, when you said that, I thought of a psychological thing. You know, here you are, and here's this other person that is you as well. You know, whoever. (laughs) Say what? Well, you know, it's like. Here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm really thinking. You know, it's kind of like that. Two different people. Uh-huh. Uh, is it a psychological thing? Did that come from psychological comparisons like Freudian or something like that? It's way before Freudian. Okay. Back to the ancients. They believe that under extreme distress that the soul left a person's body and stood beside him in human form. Wow. So you're actually beside yourself, they yes. thought. It left the subject literally beside himself when he would leave his body. It was believed this absence of the soul gave the devil an opportunity to fill the void. Whoa. Apparently, extreme pleasure could also cause this condition. The Greek <laughs> word ecstasy means to leave the body. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Wow. So uh, extreme happiness or just... Extreme pleasure could make you beside yourself. (laughs) Yeah, who's that guy over there smiling? (laughs) (laughs) Who's beside himself over there? Oh, my goodness. Anyway, that goes back to ancient times. All right, one more thing on the New Year's resolutions. This is from a Google Maps project called Zeitgeist. They found that in the U.S. and Egypt, health-related resolutions took priority. But if you live in Australia or Japan, you're looking for love. Oh, really? Yeah. And in India, career goals top the resolutions. What what is it in the U.S.? In the U.S., it's health-related. Okay. And in Russia, it's all about education. Oh, different countries, different needs. Mm -hmm. All right, Bob. Domestic box office movies. Can you name any of the top five movies of 2023? Man, I have a hard time with this anymore. I, I would say two of the top are Oppenheimer and Barbie. Correct. Okay. Barbie was number one, Oppenheimer number five. Following Barbie is Super Mario Brothers. We didn't see that. Oh, geez. Spider-Man Across the Spideyverse. Okay. And Gardens of the Galaxy, which we did see Guardians also. Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, we which, saw some of those movies before. Yeah, three of them. All right. I think it's time to take a movie break. All right. That means popcorn, doesn't it, Yes, go pop the popcorn. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. Okay, Boomer. I'm Robert Rickman, host of OK Boomer with Robert. Yes, we like to enlighten you with colorful features, Boomer news, Boomer history, but we will also mystify you. And this one coming up in 24, that's going to be really creepy. That's an astronomer standing at ground zero where the 2017 and 2024 eclipse paths will cross over Carbondale, Illinois, the home of OK Boomer with Robert. And you can find OK Boomer with Robert wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, but we lied about the popcorn. (laughs) 
<laughs> Bob gets mad if I chew on the microphone. Yeah, okay. we just can't do that when we're doing our show. All You're right. listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. We do this every week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, and its internet radio station. And then after it's aired on the radio station, it goes out all over it goes on podcast platforms all over the world. Thank you very much, uh, Marsha. I was off in dreamland yeah, there for a second. You were beside yourself there. <laughs> Say, you know, if you like New Year's celebrations, what country's culture is best for you? Any idea? Uh, what country's culture would be the best India. for you? Close. China? China. Really? The Chinese Lunar New Year is 15 days. Wow. So you can celebrate a long time. But actually, it's not the Chinese New Year. It's the Lunar New Year. It's celebrated in multiple Asian cultures. It starts with the first new moon of the year, last 15 days, and it's celebrated with cleaning, gift giving, <laughs> feasts, and parades. Spring cleaning is the thing it's mostly associated with. You'd love that, wouldn't you? Oh, I'm all in. <laughs> but it has to do with the switchover from winter to spring. Ancient farmers, when they began another season for planting crops, they would get rid of things, clean things out, get rid of the bad luck and all of that. Okay. Big meals too, Marcia. Yeah? How many courses do you think a Chinese Lunar New Year meal might be? 17. Not that big. 12. Eight. Eight. Eight is a lucky number, so many meals consist of eight courses. I wonder what they are. Do you have them listed? They may include dumplings that resemble ancient coins in northern China, sticky rice cakes in southern China. Other traditional foods include fish, tangerine, and uncut noodles. Uncut noodles signify a long life. Oh, Did you know that? Yeah. And lots of fireworks, lots yeah. of noise. <laughs> and it culminates in the Lantern Festival. And this is the big statistic I'm surprised at. Travel. Travel is very big during the Lunar New Year. Hmm. We think in the United States we have nightmare traffic jams and Thanksgiving yeah. and Christmas. They pale by comparison to Chinese Lunar New Year travel. An estimated 3.2 billion trips are taken. Oh, my word. By the Chinese over a six-week period. It's been called the largest seasonal migration of people. Where do they go? They visit friends and family wherever they are. Jeez. In and out of China. Hmm. All right, Bob. I like this one. Okay. What inspired this witty little poem in 1626? All right. Against cold meats he was insured, for frozen chickens he procured, <laughs> brought on the illness he endured, Whoa. and never was the bacon cured. What? What inspired that poem? That sounds like some kind of um, infection or something based on food that wasn't prepared right. Well, it's actually about a person who died. Long before Clarence Birdseye pioneered frozen food, which we've talked about on the show, Sir Francis Bacon, a philosopher and English statesman of many titles, yes. gave his life to the cause. He died after contracting pneumonia during an experiment stuffing a chicken with snow what? to test its preservative properties. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> So, hey, maybe this will make the chicken last longer. Yeah, he got it. Oh, can I, I'll read you the poem again. Oh, my God. Uh, now that you know what it's about. Against cold meats was he insured. For frozen chickens he procured. Brought on the illness he endured. And never was the bacon cured. Wow. <laughs> the bacon Man. Cured. So he got pneumonia. That's what he died yeah. from. Yeah. It was cold. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Cold bacon. Who wants that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. 
Two more things about the Lunar New Year in China, okay? Did you know that at one point the Chinese communist government tried to dissuade people from celebrating the Lunar New Year? Ah. They did that for years while Chairman Mao was in power from oh, 1949. He had a lot of great ideas, didn't he? 49 to the mid-60s, early 70s. They tried to stop people from celebrating it, and they cracked down on lion and dragon dances and traditional greetings. You could really get in trouble, big trouble, just by celebrating what was a holiday that had been in your history for your country and your yeah. culture for centuries. Yeah. But after he died, things were liberalized, and since 1996, the Chinese Lunar New Year has been designated as a week-long vacation, so it's okay now. Now, before the Lunar New Year, no one in China knew how to tell time. They didn't know what year it was. Okay. Did you know that? No. Didn't they have the little placemats at the restaurants? Not like we have now. No, they didn't have. (laughs) (laughs) No, according to History.com, no one really tracked time in China until Emperor Huang Di invented the lunar solar Chinese calendar. That was 2637 B.C. And until recently, the Chinese never concerned themselves with numbering sequentially. They, they numbered things in cycles. But today, year one in Chinese history corresponds to the supposed first year of Huang Di's regime, which was 2698 B.C. That was year one in Chinese history. Wow. And all this is related to the new year. It's yeah. quite interesting, yes, isn't it? It's it a is. rich history all over the world of different cultures. But, Bob... I have a question. Okay. Who was the brainiac who invented cement pianos? What? (laughs) Cement pianos? I never heard of that. Well, there was a patent for it. (laughs) This is in the uh, patents that should be still pending chapter in the good old days my ass book. Oh, that's hilarious. So who came up with the patent well, it, for cement? It animals? has to be Thomas Edison. That's right. I knew you'd get that because <laughs> because he invented Portland cement. The uh, that's the process right. for Portland cement. I was cement. wondering if you'd put the two together. Oh dear. Uh, yeah, not everything he touched turned to gold. He had a thousand ninety three patents, Bob. Well, there had to be some dogs in there, yeah. right? Among his more half baked ideas was an obsession with making things from cement, not just building, but pianos and phonograph cabinets. He even formed the, as you said, the Edison Portland Cement Company to pursue his dream of cement products, but it never lived up to a concrete reality. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, did you actually say that? It yes, never well, became a concrete reality. Yeah, I think okay. We had some no, never mind. Oh God. All right, Marcia, some firsts. Where was America's first spa? Now both Thomas Jefferson and George Washington visited the hot waters. Any idea where it was? Thomas Jefferson and who? And George Washington. Can I give you choices? Sure. Please. Hot Springs, Arkansas, uh-huh. Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. Moccasin Springs, South Dakota, or Mystic Hot Springs, Utah. Oh, we can to, rule the last one out. Neither one to, of them ever went that far. Uh, yeah, I'm going with the closest to them, Virginia. Well, it was Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. Yeah. yeah. Located in the mountains of uh, the western portion of what was then Virginia. Mm-hmm. Frequented by the founding fathers. It's still there. Thomas Jefferson was the first to mark the warm mineral waters on a map in 1748. He labeled it Medicine Springs. And then George Washington visited in 1748, and it became a getaway for him. Of course, Native Americans had known about it for centuries before the Europeans arrived. Today, the spa's mineral waters are heated to a constant 74 degrees Fahrenheit. They fill ancient stone pools where visitors can wade. So that's the first American spa. Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. Okay, Bob. Who, Bob? Who were the first street cleaners in New York City? 
You mean by name? Mm-hmm. Okay, Joe Adagio. <laughs> and I think the other guy was uh, Ricky Ramirez or something yeah. like that. Well, I don't know, Marsh. Okay, the first one's in New York City. Are we talking about an ethnic group or are we talking about animals? What? Were they animals? Animals. They're animals. That, animals that swept the streets. What were they? Pigs. Okay, <laughs> okay, because they cleaned yeah. Wall Street, right? Yeah. There were pigs on Wall so Street. So filthy was the growing city of New York that herds of pigs were pressed into service to scavenge the ever-mounting trash. Jeez. Dickens even wrote a poem about it. He came to visit and he saw all these, following his carriage, there were all these pigs and he wrote a thing about it. Did he story. really? Yeah. Was there a Tiny Tim in that one too? Or was it, <sighs> no? God bless us, everyone. How many, Bob? <laughs> How many of the seven wonders of the ancient world can you name? Well, there was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. That's one. The Pyramids of Egypt, of Giza. Correct, that's two. The Lighthouse at uh, Alexandria. Excellent, that's three. And I don't know what the other ones were. Mausoleum of Halicarnassus, the Temple of Artemis, Colossus of Rhodes, and the Statue of Zeus at Olympia. The only one that's left today is the pyramids. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That is a wonder of the world for sure. Okay. Well, with the turning of the new year, there's a new record in pop music. So I'm going to ask you this question. What solo artist has now spent more weeks at number one in the Billboard album charts than any other? Miss Taylor Swift. That's exactly right. <laughs> for more than 50 years, the answer to that question was Elvis Presley. Presley. But the week the world entered 2024, Taylor Swift broke that record as the year transitioned. She'd spent 68 weeks atop the Billboard 200 Jeez. album charts at number one. Surpasses Elvis Presley for the most appearances in the top slot for a solo artist. Of all acts, only the Beatles have been at number one more times on that chart. Give her another year. 132 times for the Beatles in the history of Billboard's album chart. That goes back to 1956. All right. I'm going to give you three quickies. How fast can a grass snake travel? How fast can a grass snake travel? Is this in terms of miles Speed. per hour? Yeah. Wow. You wouldn't have thought it was even a mile. No. And is it? Is it half a mile per hour? Or what? Is it? Is it three miles per hour? That's nuts, Bob. It's okay. a grass snake. What is it? 4.2 miles per hour. Jeez. Isn't that amazing? Well, when you think about that, that's pretty fast for a snake to travel through the oh, grass. Oh, I thought about it, and that's why I put it in Isn't When you think about it, how do snakes <laughs> travel through grass? They don't have legs to propel them. They move. The, isn't that interesting? They just wiggle your butt. We should do a little story on that sometime. <laughs> how do snakes make it through the grass? How much water How much water can an elephant's trunk hold? Whoa. I bet that's significant. Um, let me say... I'll say six gallons, but I bet it's more than that. No, four. Four gallons. Four gallons of water. It's four gallons is a lot of water. That is heavy. Yeah. And what biological reflex are horses and rabbits unable to do? What biological reflex are they unable to do? Yeah. They can both move their ears. Rabbits and horses can't do this. They can both eat. One can hop, one can trot. <laughs> they can't walk downstairs. Uh-huh. I don't know. What is it? They can't vomit. Well, that's a useful thing to not have. It, <laughs> horses and rabbits. Who knew? Not can't, me. They can't but throw up. They can't vomit. 
What do they do then if they get sick? Well, that's a good question, and that's another show. Oh, okay. <laughs> Any thoughts for the new year? Yes. Okay. Well, it's actually from Zsa Zsa Gabor. Oh, okay. Yes. She said, a man in love is incomplete until he is married. Then he is finished. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's best that I do not say anything. <laughs> I don't agree with that. That's, That's good. when life begins, Marsh. Oh, well done. I'll, I'll right. make you dinner for that. Okay, it's time to go. <laughs> That'll be a first. We <laughs> hope you join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia for The, the Off-Ramp. Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin.